let's step into the light here. I would start to, to, to just connect with to the last thing you said. If, if we are now panicking, as I think we reasonably all should be, and want to go and use those tools, where do we start? Like, where, where do I go to check out my, my online? Sure. Well, we, we made a tool which is, which is free, and you can try it out, called Apply Magic Source. So on applymagicsource.com, you can log in with... Can you say that a little slower? Apply Magic Source. Apply Magic Source. Source okay. Yeah. Don't get me into where that URL comes from. It doesn't really matter. But there you can log in with Facebook or Twitter, and you can see, importantly, you can see which aspects of your footprint pull or push the prediction in different directions. And that's something that's normally missing from machine learning systems. They don't really tell you what's going on. So that, that tool, and there's also there's Who Targets Me, which is a browser extension made just um, before the recent general election in the UK, and that tells you which um, political parties are spending money trying to reach you, and that can give you quite a lot of information as well. So there's lots of people working in this area. Well, that is super interesting. Thank you. So that made me think about this eight-month research process that the SCUM team did talking, like actually just asking the target audience things, and then they were telling them them, and then they were reading things that they openly were saying in comments. Do we need to spy on each other to do this work? Can't people, can't companies just ask people? I, I, I hope that, that <laughs> I mean, I know that we don't need to do that because all of the data we've collected, which is this huge database of psychological information, is all opt-in. So we gave people the result of the questionnaires, so we provided the service, and then mm. they could close their browsers and leave if they wanted to. But no, that, you know, when you've trusted your users to opt-in if they feel comfortable, then people do opt-in, and all of that data is opt-in. So I think there are an increasing number of companies who are actually I mean, we heard about privacy by design mm -hmm. yesterday as well, who are building in those features that make users and customers trust them from the start. And I think that will encourage more positive behavior. Yosef, uh, you, you used a, a phrase that I realized might need some unpacking. What is a third culture kid, in case people don't know? A third culture kid is anybody who comes from more than one place. Um, you know, so for example, I'm a very good example where you know, my father's Palestinian, my mother's Lebanese, mm -hmm. and I grew up in Kuwait and Jordan. And, and Dubai's been home for 20 years. So really, these people where you, know, you belong to one culture or another culture actually belongs to a third culture. So not just the ones that your parents give you, but even a third one. So then, and this is, I guess, a question for both of you or all of you. How important would you say that national identity is to young people today? Because we touched yesterday on this idea that, that, that the nation state, in many ways, as a concept, is, is less and less used, useful. I mean, well, I, I, yeah, sorry, you go, Mar Mari. Yeah. Okay, um, which, like, the aim for SCUM was Norwegian teenage girls. But obviously, borders or language are no hinders to reach a bigger audience. So I think, well, teenagers, most I know about, they identify more of being a, t a teenager rather than a Norwegian teenager or Chinese teenager. That's probably because of technology and the internet, where they share references from all around the world. It's an interesting dichotomy in our part of the world because we come from countries which we're incredibly proud of belonging to, but also incredibly angry at. You know, so being somebody who's Lebanese, like I'm so proud of my country, but I know that that country wakes up and tries to rob us all every day. Um, so I think a really important thing that brands and, and kind of communication people are doing is really understanding how can you really create very specific content for different audiences. You know, so a joke or a piece of content or a piece of entertainment that works in Saudi might not work anywhere else in the region. And so this one size fits all of like, oh, we all just speak the same language and like the same stuff is is not a very valid view. The last season of SCUM focused uh, on, a, on, an, on a hyphenated Arab character uh, in Oslo. 
And uh, Nana Belov would like to uh, ask, what can the best of Arab youth do to overcome the worst? And I would like to connect this to, to this idea that Erin talked about yesterday, about economic migrants, that people are ending up building their lives somewhere else than in their original homes. And so I would like to expand that to say, what can the Arab diaspora, what is the role of the Arab diaspora in the future of, of Middle East and North America, uh, North, uh, Northern Africa? I think, there's, I think there's a lot we can do. I mean, I think you know, the people who've been able to leave are quite often blessed to have good educations, good jobs, acquiring money, and so on. So a lot of people today are actually looking back into the Middle East and trying to see what they can do. And the digital revolution has been a really big part of that today. You know, we've had some huge tech investments, huge exits, over half a million dollars, half a, half a billion dollars of money is being invested in Arab tech companies in the Middle East today. And that's the real opportunity. People can make an immediate impact because these tech companies, these apps, these platforms, they don't know borders, they don't know religions. And so this free flow of, of information is, is very easy to do. I mean, recently an e-commerce platform was sold to Amazon for $650 million. You know, so that's, that's how you can really help the Arab youth today is to create jobs and create opportunities for them. Marie, do you know how SCUM has been received uh, with Arab, Arab view audiences in different places? Uh, I don't know much about it, but I have, uh, have a sense that it has reached uh, Turkey, I know, and uh, I believe in other countries. I'm not sure hmm? we'll where, but, the, but that's so cool that a Norwegian TV series <laughs> can be reached in like Arabic countries. Uh, Stefan uh, Helsum would like to know, what was, why was the series called Scum? It means shame. Why would you call a youth series shame? Um, oh, it's a boring story, though. We didn't know what to call the series, and uh, <laughs> so it was voted uh, by the, when we were doing auditioning, and they were writing down suggestions on what we should call it. And uh, <coughs> Scum was one of them. And um, it fits perfectly with the, what we're trying to do with the show, like remove shame. And shame is such a strong emotion during your teenage years. So, uh, yeah, that's why. And uh, Halvdant has a question here that also connected to Scum. This is every season had a key theme. And, and I should clarify that NRK is a public broadcaster and it has a mission to sort of educate and, and, and make the world a better place, as you also <laughs> mentioned. So, so the question was, how did you work to balance your aim to help the target audience without losing their attention? And I'm going to take the liberty to expand this question to all of you and say, how would you use your expertise to try and go about making positive change uh, in any community. Who would like to begin? Best maybe. Well, I think anyone who's ever tried to read an academic paper knows the importance of trying to make things engaging. <laughs> uh, so, so I think it's, it's, really, it's really important to, to you know, take ideas from, from other sectors. You know? I mean, I'm really privileged to be here at, at this amazing conference with you know, artists and innovators and communications experts and you know, everyone in between, entrepreneurs, um, to get those ideas and try to bring them back and, and you know, kind of share each way. So I think that um, there's a lot to be learned from multidisciplinarity, and no one can say that they're multidisciplinary, really, because it's, an, it's mm -hmm. a process. It's not something you achieve. So maybe making things accessible, that's the magic sauce. Yeah. Mari, what would you say? How do you go about making positive change? I guess maybe you already have. Well, uh, take your audience, uh, target audience serious, and uh, humor always helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I talked a lot about how, so. 
Yeah. I think for me, there's, there's, there's two things. I think I've, you know, I've been very lucky that I kind of helped build and kind of grow a very successful tech business in Dubai. And I've tried to use a lot of my experience to kind of talk and inform and educate the younger kind of entrepreneurs coming up today about what they can do and how they can avoid a lot of the pitfalls. And to be honest, it's just talking. Like, it's me. It's, I'm really always, whenever I'm at these events, at these conferences, I'm really trying to shine a light on the Middle East and show you something beyond what we see in the news every day because it's a rich and diverse and incredibly wonderful place with so much potential and so much beyond what we see in the news every day. Very good. Please give a big hand to Vespop of Mari Magnus and Yusuf Kirkan.